Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost. Though it's after the end, there still is more Lost to talk about. And of course, joining me is the co-host of the upcoming Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, Matt. Uh, now, Pete, before we start, uh, I just wanted to share a quick announcement. Uh, on the evening of August 15th, I will be hosting a uh, Lost live blog and watch-along uh, also kind of an adios to the podcast. Listeners can sign up for reminders at phgeekpodcast.blogspot.com and the live chat will be hosted both there and at uh, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. Pete, the first question that the mail has been rolling in, will you be there, Pete? I will indeed. By the way, podcast fans, if you're concerned that Pete is coming a little fuzzy, hang on, it clears itself up in just another minute. Now, let's get to some feedback about last week's episode of the podcast, uh, which of course focused on the music from seasons one through three. Michael Cassidy sent a tweet that, that said to us, Pete, uh, he said, your podcast on the music of Lost is great. Appreciate it. So wasn't that nice to hear from Michael? Indeed. With that, let's now discuss where we're headed for today's podcast, and we will be looking at the music from seasons four and five. Yes, originally it was going to be seasons four through six, but Pete, you've picked so much wonderful music that uh, we've decided to split things up four and five today, uh, which is about 20 tracks worth, and then season six, which itself is uh, another 20 or 21 tracks. So with that, Pete, what is it that has made the tippity-top of your list? What starts us off in the beginning of Season 4 and this, your wonderfully curated list? We're going to take a listen to Track 6, which is called The Constant, which comes from the episode of the same name. <clears throat> and this is Desmond and Penny's theme. Really tugs at the old heartstrings a little bit before it gets uh, quite foreboding at the end. As you say, Pete, such a memorable track there. I mean, it's kind of so, uh, you know, so filled with the uh, the passion and the love that those two characters have for each other. If that's not too sappy a thing to say. No, I don't. And, um, you know, a lot of people also lose sight that that's the closest thing that Lost ever had to a Christmas episode. 
And I think in light of all that, that music works very, very well. That's an excellent observation there. I think it actually, uh, you know, I'm thinking back to the, the religious discussions that, you know, that, that I had for uh, the end part two and the way that the show kind of goes uh, multi-faith at the end there is kind of fitting that their Christmas episode is one that's ultimately, uh, I don't want to say agnostic, but it's about a larger power and the power is love and it's without kind of any particular uh, religious iconography if that's, if that's not too far to take it. And time travel? And time travel, which I don't know how that ties into religion, but um, I guess we'll, we'll save that for wiser folk. Pete, what is next on your list? Next, we're going to skip ahead to track nine. Um, Matt, you're going to help us with the pronunciation of this one because I know uh, you speak Korean. <laughs> well, I only speak a little, a little Korean enough to, to know that this is uh, pronounced Ji-yan. Okay, from the episode of the same name as well. There's something about that, uh, I don't know, about the, the Sun and Jin music, the Sun and Jin storyline in general that, that still kind of remains uh, so pure, I think. Despite both their sins, I think we kind of so easily forget um, maybe Sun's sins more than Jin's. But, but we, uh, you know, uh, we, are, we are washed clean by that music. Yeah. And, um, you know, the fact that Giacchino <clears throat> incorporates his uh, life and death theme and, you know, uh, does a tremendous job understating it, you know, the, the death of the perceived death of Jin, um, the birth of their child, you know, um, son at the grave with Hurley, uh, you know, really brings that to the fore. Well, from that poignant note, we now move on to the first of uh, today's wonderful Maybe it's wonderful in quotes. Uh, Giacchino punny titles. What's this, Pete? <laughs> this is track 12, Benundrum. And, uh, you know, listeners will want to note the wonderful pace and tension evocative of earlier peril, but the way it pushes forward in a way we hadn't heard just yet. 
peril indeed, Pete. I mean, that's that's high tempo, high energy, kind of honking horns, and uh, so very Ben, so so very uh, evocative of uh, of the trouble he can cause. He's a conundrum, that Benjamin Linus. <laughs> Some like Mister Jacino might even say he's a Benundrum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I guess that was the pause for for laughter that didn't quite come. But with that, Pete, what is next on your list? A personal favorite of mine. This is track 16, which comes from uh, the very first part of the finale. There's no place like home of the same name. Part one. I know we're just in the the opening couple of tracks here. What we're about five or six in, if, if that, right. uh, maybe four. Uh, it, it strikes me that as wonderful as Giacchino's music is uh, for seasons one through three, I, I feel like uh, at least of the choices you made last week, uh, I feel like those were kind of more um, flashy. You know, it's 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 music to go with the hatch has has exploded and the plane is falling and 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 who are these mysterious you know other 48 days people there's kind of more character to his music here i mean obviously fitting our our greater knowledge of the character but what a great choice there with with there's no place like home well that's the signature um musical theme of the last three seasons and um we first hear that when the plane that has found the Oceanic Six touches down in Hawaii. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to see in a little bit, <clears throat> it will be reprised quite a bit and done differently and interestingly each time. That's the thing. You know, he really has this ability to bring something new to a tune we've heard before. And it's certainly the music there is fitting of of what we would have expected in season one would have been the end of the show. You know, some people make it off. Some people are on the plane that lands on the tarmac and there's family there, you know, so it's kind of it's um, 
the music is kind of um it's 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 wearing its heart on its sleeve in terms of it's all heart to, to coin a term um where you know it's kind of it's imagining that this is the end of their story despite the fact that Jaquino knows there's a whole season to go multiple seasons to go and that sort of thing definitely so with that pete i see on the list here next is uh, track 18 from the uh, the season four disc of mice and ben why did you choose that one um another personal favorite here and <clears throat> the way that in a more urgent sense it incorporates there's no place like home and this made for a uh, wonderful montage um in the season four finale particularly as uh you know we've got son on the freighter we've got um you know ben in the woods near the orchid station preparing to surrender himself um to the uh to the forces of uh kimi from the the freighter just you know terrific tension with a tender theme beneath it definitely a great choice pete i mean it's it it, you mentioned kimi earlier what a what a fantastic character just so he starts out so kind of responsible and likable and then just turns into the embodiment of pure evil and um certainly i think kind of the the music there captures a little bit of that uh that dark side i think it's more of a of a ben song you know it's the first time we really glimpse any kind of goodness in Ben, albeit it's for his own motives here to surrender and then later get the drop on Kimi. But he's he's taking a step forward here, um, you know, for the island. Well, with that, let's look at the, the next track on the list. This is Bobbing for Freighters. Ha ha. Uh, what is this track about? Where is it from? This is also from the finale. Um, and this really speaks to the terror that our group has in realizing the freighter is going to blow.
as you said, certainly a, a terror-filled track there. Uh, and also just, you know, uh, the music is capturing one of those quintessential lost moments where you kind of can't imagine. It looks like they're writing themselves into a, into a corner. You can't quite imagine how they're going to, to get themselves out of it. Are they killing people off? Who's getting killed? What's going on? And uh, really a nice choice there, Pete. Thank you. I know we're going kind of heavy from the finales here, and I just think it speaks to how well um, Giacchino planned and executed the music for the finales. I mean, granted, it is the greater majority of much of the discs, um, but it really tells a greater uh, musical story, I think, um, much in the scope of a John Williams. Ah, somebody who uh, we heavily discussed uh, in last week's podcast. Next, Pete, I see is Lock of the Island, which kind of sounds like it wants to be uh, a little punny. I'm not quite, I, I, there's got to be a reference in there. It's like Lock of the Island, uh, you know, like maybe Man of the Island or that kind of bit of wordplay it's not quite there but uh what like made you choose flock this of the island maybe uh yeah that would that would work so why did you choose lock of the island well this is a really comprehensive track um that uh culminates with uh ben's theme and then the turning of the frozen donkey wheel um, I think the the lock is a reference to the flock aspect because um, Locke is just settling down with, uh, Alpert and the others. And then this wheel gets turned. So it's a song for me of embrace of his new situation and Ben, um, embracing his exile. Of course, in that exile, he, uh, you know, he is never to return to the island, uh, which, you know, of course, we didn't know at the time, but uh, we would we would learn eventually when we uh, saw Locke die. Um, what's next, Pete? We're gonna go with track twenty-five here, and this is Landing Party. What made you choose it? 
This is the gentle and joyful version of There's No Place Like Home. This plays as uh, they decide to keep the secret um, between um, Penny's party and her boat and um, the rest of the uh, survivors who get away from the island before it disappears after Ben has turned the wheel. just so big and lush and kind of um you know it, it really does just such a wonderful job of kind of capturing the, the the myriad of emotions at that point um their freedom their you know what they're leaving behind and all that it's uh it it really is a marvel to to hear these tracks and yeah i mean we have the benefit of associating them with the images and the story and all that but i, I really have to think that if you just plunked uh, these tracks, uh, you know, uh, into an iPod, plunked it onto somebody's, you know, headphones. The obviously they're not going to pick out the story of oh, then Hurley and Jack and you know they paddle on up to the beach and they're happy to be. It there wouldn't be those details, but there's kind of the there's a story, there's a musical story that he's capturing uh, in just a really really remarkable way. Yeah, and you know the images and the music just worked so well together when they went with those montages when they slowed the um you know the scene down a little bit you know not a full slow motion but you know enough to languish in terms of close-ups and and shots with that particular music that we feel the relief both visually um and, you know, in the audio sense, as uh, they're making landfall. Very well said. Um, the next track I see here is Hoff's Drawler. And whenever I see the, the, the name of that funeral home, I, I am instantly transported back to, to seeing that season three finale. I mean, obviously, with the, you know, the absolutely amazing... Uh, final scene there we realize that we've been in, in a flash forward as as uh Hofstrahler does uh get re uh you know reorganized to spell but i just remember kicking myself the next morning saying 
why in the Hofstra alert it was there it was in front of you why didn't I immediately hop on the computer or you know take out my phone or that kind of thing to 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 figure this out because it was it's one of those clues where it, it's right there and the show is almost daring you to um daring you to spoil yourself before they get a chance to to you know present what they want to present so what was it about this track that uh that caught your ear the way that it it comes together particularly towards the end for a scene that would be filmed three different ways with three different bodies in the coffin i think is really memorable Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a creepy factor to that uh, to that uh, track, and uh, you mentioned before it played how uh, how they had shot three different versions, three different bodies uh, in the coffin. I think this was at a point where the show, at least my experience in in uh, in watching the the season was. Uh, it had been such a wonderful season, obviously with its ups and downs, the strike and this and that, the other. But you know, by the time you got to the end of the season, everything was okay. Everything was firing on full cylinders, and to have those three different versions, it's you know, it was the show kind of being aware that it was uh, back in full. I don't say spoiler mode. It's not like the show was spoiling itself, but it was warding off those forces that might that might want to be uh, you know overly rabid in their in their fandom. Although. You are known as Spoiler Pete, so to you, 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 know, <laughs> you probably resented the fact that that uh, <laughs> that they were so cruel. No, I I think um, you know it was the way that it was meant to be, and uh, really came together um, in the way that they wanted it to. Um, with the ending there. You know, again, the need to film three different ones, you know, we can talk about whether they knew versus they thought what they wanted to do, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know why you go through the trouble of putting the actors through all of that just so you can shoot it, you know, two other times. I don't know. You know, I mean, you raise a good point. I know, um, I think that Lindelof and Cuse were always a little bit more uh, aware of their image as, um, you know, sage-like gods. Um, and also, I think, aware that that wasn't always true, that they were writers who could rewrite, who could start to go in one direction and say, eh, we just did two episodes or, or four episodes where you've been thinking about Son and Michael getting together, but now nah, we're going to not go in that direction. But 
your comment of, hey, maybe they had these three uh, options because they truly didn't know. Uh, not to turn this into the looking back at Battlestar Galactica podcast that I know some people like Dan Mulderlock uh, were hoping would be uh, the project that has become the Star Trek Essentials podcast. But um, I know that Ron Moore uh, was very upfront during the run of Battlestar Galactica by saying, Sometimes they would do things to end a mid-season or end an episode or end an entire season where they would just do it because it was cool and mind-blowing and they literally didn't have an idea. They had no idea what to do with it. I think in the... Mm, that sounds like a very familiar argument. I, I can't think, Matt, where you've ever heard of that before. <sighs> Perhaps uh, in your, your criticism of the finale of that series? Maybe. Well, we'll leave... We'll leave Leave that for another discussion, I suppose. But um, I guess I'll put it to you, Pete. Do you think that they went to the trouble to shoot those three different endings um, for that very reason? Because, A, it would be cool splash and cool, you know, ooh, what's it going to be? Tune into Good Morning America tomorrow to see the other two endings. And also it was like, and we have no idea and we're really tired. And we spent part of the season out chanting for the union and we're not really sure but we want to go home go to sleep and figure it out in like a month i think they really liked misdirection (laughs) in the writer's room of this show over the course of it and i think that was a classic case they could have pulled a a season one you know the bagel freeze it in uh somebody's uh mini fridge or freezer wherever they put the uh the tape of walt getting abducted off the boat no, they said, we're going to shoot this three different ways. Uh, we can go A, B, or C. We're going to leave you hang until next year. Figure it out or try to figure it out. On that note, Pete, I see that we are, uh, we've concluded season four. And you have a very curious, uh, curious annotation here on our notes about, about season five. What, what were your thoughts about season five? So the season five soundtrack – like the season itself, I feel it's not really a highlight um, of all of the seasons that I've combed through. Um, I probably I didn't count the numbers, but I probably have the fewest number of tracks from this. And I just think it was not a season that lent itself really to a musical milieu. Um, there's certainly great music from it. Please don't misunderstand me when I say that. Just compared to the rest of the body of work, it's not as good. Ooh. Well, amongst that uh, that uh, faint praise there, uh, if not the, the verbal thrashing that you, you just gave someone, I don't know who, whether it's Giacchino or someone else, but uh, what, uh, <laughs> what has made the grade for season five? We're going to start with track one, and that's making up for lost time. Thank you. 
So Pete, as that track concludes there, what was it about making up for lost time that uh, that caught your ear? I like the way that they have Ben's theme up front along with the other reprisals of other themes we get throughout. And I think the title, you know, we, we're going to tease Giacchino and his staff before about Ben Undrum and, and some poor puns that they come together, come up with together. But here, this one makes a lot of sense in many different ways, you know, coming back um, later in the year, making up for lost time, getting you all these different themes, getting you caught back up with these characters. And now we're finally going to have five seasons in this season we've talked about where there'll be no interruption. That's an excellent point. Yeah, it took it took quite a number of episodes to to get to what in a lot of ways has become the norm for most, uh, right. at least most TV that we are passionate about now. Um, even some of the, you know, some of the longer network stuff, it's like, Oh, I'll just catch it when it's, you know, on, on the home video version. But speaking of great titles, I see that uh, your next one here, the science of faith, obviously that has a little bit of a wink, you know, man of faith, man of science, but, right. um, not a, not a bad title as titles go. Uh, what, uh, what made it stand out? What is it from? And most of all, Pete, why? This is a great track um, when Ben is explaining to Jack in the church in Los Angeles um, the story of St. Thomas the Doubter and everything that Jack has gone through to this point in his life and in his experience and the idea of doubt creeping in, can we go back? We have to go back. Will it be able to happen? Having to trust Ben of all people to bring him back. Definitely a selection that that captures the the setting very well. You know, there's kind of a uh, I don't want to quite say a holy aspect to it, but certainly a, a reverential uh, feeling to it. And there's a nod to uh, Locke's theme and the idea that he's the one bringing them all together, even in death. And this you know dualism between the Christian motif and the one being drawn by the show. That someone in death, you know, do do we doubt the power of uh, miracles? Well, that poignant note, uh, I see you have another poignant track after it. What's next? This is track nine, Le Fleur, from the episode of the same name. Uh, you're French, Pete. It's uh, it, it really, the, the reputation precedes you, but that was pronounced so, so francophily. <laughs> So why did you uh, why did you choose this track if the if the name itself isn't obvious enough to every listener? This really starts a, a fresh chapter for us. We catch up in this episode uh, to discover that 
Sawyer and Juliet in those three years they've had in the past, uh, have had a fresh start together and have, uh, fallen in love. And, you know, for Sawyer in particular, um, you know, the promise that this offers compared to everything he's gone through before is unparalleled in his life. there's a burden almost that the 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 story as a whole that the show as a whole needs to carry with that uh you know those three years that we never see uh that Sawyer and uh, and Juliet have and to the degree that uh you know music is the place to it's like your last chance as a as a creator of a show it's your last chance to inform the audience um how they you know inform them how they should be feeling I mean it's indicative of what the entire story has to do, which is very, very quickly sell you on something that wasn't, you know, maybe you were heading to at a certain point, but now you're just there. You're just there and you need to accept it. And there's not a lot of going back. There's not, you know, we're not going to get, you know, the other, you know, 1000 Dharma days. And we're not going to get that as a catch up. It's just, we're here, we're here now, accept it and move on. We're not going to get them yet, Matt, I think is the proper way to put that. Ooh, what do you mean? Do do explain. I'll leave it. I'll leave it like that for now. Ooh, okay. Well, from that, from that, you know, such a lovely track with, with such a, a, you know, a name, a track title that kind of captures the whole, the whole milieu so well. Now next is Sawyer Jones and the Temple of Boom. Pete, I assume the track is better than the title. Actually, this is the track of any that I have uh, selected here that is my least favorite, not just for the awful title. Ooh. Do you want to say anything else or should we take it, a listen? It demands, it demands to be included because of the significance.
well, at the risk of sounding as though I have no no culture, that certainly is loud towards the end. Yes, yes. And it culminates with that moving music that we've played before um, in the first episode we recorded, that Hollywood and Hollywood and Vines um, as Jughead's put into place there. And, and again, speaking to the significance of a track like that, that takes place. Uh, let me see now. That one happens in the, the uh, penultimate episode there of uh the season that would be follow the leader ah well with that hopefully i know my ears are still a little still a little achy from that last one uh what is next we're gonna take a listen to uh track 17 which is entitled the tangled web which comes from the incident Obviously, there's kind of the 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 slow and mournful, uh, you know, kind of Jacob Man in Black uh, aspect to it. Um, what else beside that made you uh, put it on the list? Well, we see that at the very beginning of the incident, and you know, we're trying to piece it uh, together from the moment we're watching and listening to that. What is it we're seeing? Or are we seeing another flashback in the island? Are we seeing you know something that's happening concurrent. What what is going on here? And to see um, Jacob um, and the man in black on the beach there trying to put it together. And then later on, <clears throat> we'll see them, of course, uh, we'll see Jacob, um, you know, weaving and this tangled web that he's been weaving all along. The music, I think, just to deconstruct it, I think that Giacchino had to be thinking of, you know, let me come up with something that could play as a spider is weaving its work. It really plays in such a way. Absolutely does. Absolutely. Now, for the the last uh, Giacchino track or two of uh, today's podcast, uh, you had asked that the two tracks kind of be uh, be played in succession, that being track 21, Dharma versus Lost Aways, and track two, The Incident. What is it about these two tracks that kind of uh, almost requires them being played together? They're companion pieces. You know, the first is the setup to the point where um, the incident is about to happen, and then it happens and all hell breaks loose Ooh, pete with the sweary words yeah um i will mention to the listeners that for this uh clip here uh yeah, obviously as i just said it's it's the two tracks put together there's a slight pause between the one and the next just to kind of give you a uh, uh give your ear a clue that we've moved from uh from dharmaverse lost aways to the incident but we'll play both through
that I particularly enjoy uh, at the end of that uh, selection there, and I'm probably not using the the proper musical terminology there, but uh, or here, but there's the, the the strings in their melody. There's kind of this repeating uh, motif to them. To me, there's almost kind of a a spinning uh, or or the cycling of a wheel there as things are getting worse and worse and worse. Kind of. Um, you know, you see how bad things are going and then it's just, it's only getting, uh, you know, it's getting worse. It's kind of, things are spinning out of control. So kind of a nice, uh, a nice interplay there. I think it's really necessitated too, by the fact that that's a very loud scene before the music. Mm. There's so much going on. Um, you know, the noises of the machinery being worked, the, uh, magnetic, noises that are of course uh laid on top of that and then giacchino's score it really needed to not get lost in all the other ambient noise well said and with that pete that is now the end of uh, season five that's where we will stop the podcast for this week will you come back next week to do uh, season six i don't know if i can get out of that <laughs> Well, uh, I guess with that, everybody, uh, you can always share your feedback at uh, Looking Back Lost on Twitter. Send an email to lookingbacklost at gmail.com. Call the listener line, 732-707-1815. Leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbacklost.podbean.com. And Pete, I will talk to you next week as we uh, wrap up the music of Lost. I look forward to it. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.